the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, who can tell me what's the name of the series we've been on on Wednesdays? I can always count on Dorinda. She takes good notes. Rooted! And so we've been talking about basic things, you know, being planted in, to God's will for our lives. Turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Last week we talked about seeds. God has a way of doing things. Last week's message, if you'll remember, was uh, trusting in the seed. Because the seed, you put it in the ground and what happens? It produces if you put it in good ground. So Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26, this is a verse that we discussed last week. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't even understand how it happens. It just does, right? He doesn't need to understand. He trusts in the seed. Verse 28 says, The earth produces the crops on its own. First, the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. So while the earth remains, there's seed, time, and harvest. Say harvest. That's what we're going to talk about. Tonight, we've moved past the seed. Maybe we should have went to the time. Y'all want to go into time tonight? Nobody likes time, do they? They don't like the patience that it takes to get there to the harvest. We'll go straight to the harvest, amen? Tonight's message is entitled, God is all about the harvest. You know, one of my earliest memories when I was a little boy was being inside one of those big cot cotton pickers that you know you'd pick the cotton fields with. You're saying, Pastor, you mean being on one of those cotton? No, I mean being inside one of those cotton pickers. You know that big basket that it carries on the back that it fills up with cotton. There was a little trap door, and my grandfather would throw me down in that thing. Not that I was to be like in jail or whatever, but because I wanted to be there first. It was fun. The cotton would come shooting out like snow out the top and it would begin to fill the basket. And my job was to stomp down the cotton so he could get more in there. Of course, once you know it started filling up and I started having to sit side, it, maybe it wasn't OSHA approved. I don't know. The government, the regulations of today might not have allowed it. I don't know. But when I was hollering, Papa, you know, he would stop the tractor and let me out. And then he would go dump the cotton. I remember also spending a lot of time in the, one of his trailers that he would have a bunch of soybeans in. He would, you know, pick cotton and soybeans. And uh, I don't know why, but I stayed in it. I played toys in the soybean thing. I would jump and dive in there and go down to about my, you know, it would start working my way down. And I was sinking in the soybeans. Probably not government approved either. <laughs> but never once when I was playing in all that harvest, did I think to myself, where did this harvest come from? It just, it was just there to me. And I believe a lot of us feel the same way. We watched that video, you remember Sunday, where the guy woke up and his head was covered in wrapping paper and he broke free. <gasps> and his wife was covered in wrapping paper. His kids come in and and, and that whole morning, he begins to see everything as a gift. You remember he cut the lights on? How many of you at home, when you cut your light switch on, the lights go on and off? He was like, oh boy, he's so thankful that the light switch. Everything that he did that morning, I thought it was a great video. Because so many of us just take the harvest that God gives us for granted. We say, whoa, woe is me. I don't have what so-and-so has. You know, and we fail to look 
and, and consider where we got what we got. We take so much for granted. You know, my papa, he also had an irrigation system, these big pipes that he would bolt together and shoot water through. He had a well on his property. So if it wasn't raining that season or whatever, he could hook it up to the well and have his own water coming up from underground. And I was thinking, you know, back in the day, in Jesus' day, I don't see that they had extensive irrigation systems and pumping well water and stuff. But they probably didn't need it back then. They didn't have as many people, 7 billion people on the earth today. God was hiding some of His treasures to be found when it was needed. Technology and stuff. You know, God reveals things that are needed at the time. The earth had everything that we need in it way back in Jesus' day. We couldn't, they couldn't imagine how they would feed 7 billion people on the planet back then. But God had already looked ahead, hadn't He? Today I went down to the mercy room and some guy was down there getting 11 stitches in his chin. Not going to mention any names, but I'm looking straight at him. Made it to church tonight. Give him a round of applause. 11 stitches in his chin. Way to go. I told him not to mess with me. <laughs> but I did drive him. No, I went down there to the mercy room where he was at and uh, it was amazing. They put those stitches in and, and you know, they had a big old gash and, and they closed it up and put those stitches in. And guess what? She said, come back in seven days and get them out. And that's what I'm thinking. You mean a big old gash like that in seven days will heal itself. I mean, the stitches just hold it together for you. But your body has healing properties already built in it. That's a blessing. See, God is in control of these things. I wonder weird things, why, you know, like, why don't we fall off the earth if it's spinning? Now, why aren't we slung off into the galaxy? What holds us down, you know? And why doesn't the earth, it's got this one little rotation, why don't it spin off into the sun one day and we all burn up, you know? Somebody is controlling this earth, don't you think? Why don't the oceans come past a certain point? Why can you live on an island and be fairly secure that tomorrow you'll still, still be above water? When the oceans can get so crazy and wild with storms and stuff, but people live on little bitty islands. and I've seen houses built on stilts out in the ocean. You know, in the bays or whatever. And it's like, I don't know how you do it. I, that's faith in God, you know. And, and so, we can sit around and we can say, why don't I have this? And why is this happening to me? And we can do all this reasoning. Go ahead, while we're reasoning, turn to Job 38. That's what Job and his buddies were doing. See, hard times had hit Job and his three buddies come over. And they're blaming Job. They're saying, if, if, you know, if you wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. And God is holy and God's this. And, they, and everybody has their thoughts about God. And you do too. And I do too. We have our thoughts about God and everything. But how much do we really know? I mean, come on. For 37 chapters, I can picture God standing up there in, in heaven <laughs> listening to this conversation. I read the book of Job several times and, and I listened to their conversations. I was like, these guys are brilliant. That's smart. That's good theology. Until I got to chapter 38. And I realized, I changed my tune when God said in verse 1, it says, the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Well, there went all my hopes that these guys were smart. <laughs> he says, brace yourself like a man. Uh-oh. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? In other words, who's holding the earth up? And who laid its cornerstone? as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? Well, there's our answer that I was thinking about. Why don't the seas cover the land? Who keeps them in their boundaries? Well, we see now it's God. He says, and I clothed it, the seas with 
clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. God did it. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. He goes on, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Job, have you ever made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? And I think, if, I'm not, if I remember correctly, God goes on for about two whole chapters. This is just 13 verses. He goes on to talk about where were you and I made the mountain goats on the side of the hill that you know people never even lay eyes on. I don't know about you, but I am glad that God is the one in control. Sometimes I feel like I'm pretty smart. Not very often. But I have never been to the point where I feel like I could control the universe the way God does. I, I, you know, I can't even... <laughs> never mind. But God has all these systems already working behind the scenes. Things that we enjoy now that we just take for granted. Because we, we were raised like this. The sun always comes up in the morning. It always goes down in the west. It always this. You know, sometimes it gets a little windy. Sometimes it, it gets a little sunny. Sometimes this, we just, these things are already set in motion. They're laws of the universe. I looked up laws of the universe and I found a thing that said 12 of them. It says there's the law of divine oneness. I'm not going to go through I'm just going to tell you what somebody smarter than me says or, or systems, laws of the universe. Laws of vibration. These are things that make things the way they are. These are laws in place that cause everything to, to work in order the way we see it, to hold us in that pattern in this solar system and stuff. Law of action. Law of correspondence, the law of cause and effect, the law of compensation, the law of attraction, the law of perpetual transmutation of energy. See, I'm, I'm lost right now as you are. I can't even pronounce some of these things that God... And these are probably just the ones that man has figured out. There's probably so many more. The law of relativity, the law of polarity, the law of rhythm. Rhythm is everything vibrates and moves to certain rhythms. These rhythms establish seasons, cycles, stages of development and patterns. Each cycle reflects the regularity of God's universe. Masters know how to rise above the negative parts of a cycle by never getting too excited or allowing negative things to penetrate their consciousness. The law of gender. You see, where were we? When God hung the earth on nothingness. You, you got a computer, right? Do you understand all the programs that's running in the background that allow you to get on Facebook or wherever you're on? Do you, know, do you read code? Aren't you glad somebody does, you know, or else we wouldn't get far? Did you used to have one of them green screen computers that all you could do is Word processing, and it wasn't very good. God is in the background. And He's holding everything together. The Bible says that Jesus holds everything together by the Word of His power. You know, just by the Word of God, everything was created. And what is He doing? He's up there waiting on man. What do I mean? Well, He gave man dominion over the earth, right? He told us to tend the garden until we produce with all these systems, with this computer that He gave us, that we produce what He desires. Does anybody know what God desires out of the earth? Our hearts? I think you're right. I'm going to say it like this. Well, I will give you a hint. In Matthew 9.38, Jesus calls God the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. 
God desires a harvest. He has put all this in motion. And He does everything by seed, time, and then He desires a what? God's all about the harvest. Look at your neighbor and say, God's all about the harvest. Are you about the harvest? Okay, so as we begin to talk about the harvest, let's start with this general concept that we must get straight before we go any further. It's found in Psalms 24.1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, that, that makes everything pretty clear, doesn't it? It says, all, the world and all its people belong to Him. For He laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. The earth is the Lord's. So before we go any farther, we have to understand that the best that we could be is what? A steward of the grace of God. You know, that'll help us so much. Because as people, we, I want to own this. I want to own that. You know, that's mine. What do you mean that, you know, I don't have the deed to this or that? We want to own everything. But in reality, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all the Lord's. And the best that we can be is stewards. Take good care of the manifold grace of God. The manifold means many faceted. Grace means something you don't deserve. Grace of God. The many faceted blessings that God has allowed us to enjoy. We can be stewards of it. When we get a correct understanding that we're stewards and not owners, that allows us a great freedom. We're laborers in His vineyard. We can plant and water, but ultimately it has to be Him who brings the increase. He is the power. He's holding it together by the word of His power. It doesn't exist. It, doesn't, it won't work without the word of His power. And, and if we were to try to do it without Him, you know, okay, well, I don't need God. I can plant a seed and water it myself. Well, where are you going to get the water and the seed? <laughs> They're God's. You're going to create your own soil? How are you going to do that? We can do nothing apart from Him, right? But the good news is, God loves the harvest. He gets excited about harvest and He gets excited about your part in the harvest. He gets excited when you enjoy the harvest. And that's good news. That's me. He's a good God. He's not stingy. In fact, He created the earth for us so that we can enjoy all these systems that He put in place. They were for mankind. So that we could enjoy life. God celebrates the harvest. Turn to Exodus 23, 14. Exodus 23, 14. I guess your next level Wednesday folks know all this. That's why you're so quiet tonight. I guess I want to go deeper. But to hire a preacher to come in here tell you something you don't know. Exodus 23.14 God's talking says, Each year you must celebrate three festivals in my honor. First, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days the bread you eat must not be made with yeast, just as I commanded you. Celebrate this festival annually at the appointed time in early spring in the month of Abib. For the, this is the anniversary of your departure from Egypt. So this first feast is to celebrate that you've been freed from slavery. That you've been freed from your old sinful life. That you have new life for the born-again believer of today. Wouldn't that be what he's celebrating? It's looking forward ahead to the day that we're all been set free. The captives have been set free. Do you know what the first fruits are? 
in God's eyes? You. You are God's harvest. You're the first fruits of His harvest. The, you are the, the first crop come up of His labor. And He's excited about it. You're God's harvest. It goes on to say, verse 16, Second, celebrate the festival of harvest when you bring me the first crops of your harvest. Finally, celebrate the festival of the final harvest at the end of the harvest season when you've harvested all the crops from your field. At, three, at these three times each year, every man in Israel must appear before the Sovereign Lord. So the second two are to celebrate the harvest that your new life produces. The first festival is to celebrate that you are the first harvest, and now that you're the harvest, isn't that the way harvest works? You, you get a harvest, and of that harvest you plant again, and you get another harvest? And so now that you're the first fruits of his harvest, now your life begins you know, to have the first fruits of the first harvest, and then he celebrates again at the end of the harvest. So at the beginning, at the end of the harvest, there's a celebration. There's a celebration in heaven, what? When one sinner comes to repentance. And then there's a celebration in heaven, I guarantee you, when we get there, when he comes back and gets us. Harvest time. You see, God... Designs life like I talked about Sunday. Was it this Sunday or one before? With marks. He doesn't want you to just go through life never celebrating, never rejoicing, never having anything to be happy about because you know how you are. You're like me, man. The things get mundane. There's no celebration. That's why we have birthday parties and stuff. We have. Why do you think they put holidays on the calendar. America has its own, you know. It's not because some rich fat cat on corporate, corporate fat cats up there thinking, we need to give them another day off. No, because even they realize you need a break every now and then. You need something to celebrate. It makes you better. It's, it's a mark that you can celebrate and God is all about that. He don't want your life to come become dull and unfruitful. If you become unfruitful, you lose hope. You don't have anything to celebrate. And so he sets little marks and he sets holidays. These are feasts that, that the Jews are supposed to celebrate forever. I personally believe that these are, are celebrations that, that are wrapped up for the New uh, Testament believer in the Eucharist, in the communion. Because in Jesus, all these things are fulfilled, you see. Amen? And I did notice in here it says, where is it saying? Bring me the first crops of your harvest. He said, don't come before me without first, uh, uh, let's see where it said. Celebrate No one may appear before me without an offering. I think that's what Brother Tom was preaching during the offerings there for a little while. He said, you know, when I come on Wednesdays, he said, he said I give an offering even if it's just a, you know, a little bit. And so I started trying to do that, and I forgot tonight of all nights. So I had to stand up here and admit I didn't give an offering tonight. But I was trying to do that even if it's just a dollar. You know, don't come before the Lord without an offering. And give Him the best, the first fruits. That's what the tithe is. It's not supposed to be, okay, I'll wait to the end of the month and see what I got left. If, see if I have enough for the tithe. You'll never have enough that way. The devil will make sure of it. Your tithe and your offering and the thing, that's when you get your check, that ought to be the first one you write out. It's your best saying, God, I put you first. And then your, your other 90% will be blessed. Right? That's good teaching. It's just trusting the Lord. Somebody may be thinking, well, I'm no farmer. What's all this talk about seed time and harvest? I don't know. Anybody, I don't, I don't, what do you want me to do? Well, seed time and harvest is for all mankind. I mean, you don't have, you may not be literally planting seed, but it works in every realm of our life whether we want it to or not. Some of you may be sitting there saying, my life is terrible and all this. Well, if you look back, you're probably reaping what you have sown in the past. Some of you may be saying, I'm on top of the world. 
Well, you started changing the seed that you were putting in the ground. And you may not have literally put a seed in the ground, but maybe the words out of your mouth, the, the things that you were speaking over your life begin to change. The seeds that you were planting in your heart from the Word of God. The music that you changed to listen to, whether good or bad, began to reap a harvest in your life. The, the way you were treating someone else, the words that you were speaking into your relationship with your husband or wife, your boyfriend or girlfriend. Well, that I can guarantee you that relationship is a result of those seeds. Say amen or oh me. See, this works in the spiritual realm as well as in the natural realm. It also works relationally, like I said. You sow angry words with your husband when you get home tonight, guess what? You're probably going to reap angry words back unless you've got a super mature husband. You cast seeds of friendliness, then you probably get friends. If you're, you cast seeds of aloofness, isolation, you probably don't have a lot of friends. You, you're reaping what you sow. You see how this works in your life? Now the world calls it what? Karma or stuff like that. That's just a, that's their, their way of expressing a law that can't be changed, that God designed that. God doesn't call it karma. And the, way they, the way they see it, you know, they've twisted or what everything the world understands is twisted, you understand? But, but, that's, but it is a spiritual truth. Seed time and harvest. You reap what you sow. It works financially. Luke 6.38, let's turn there. This is one of the favorites you hear at offering time. We used to, back in the old days, we used to quote it together. It says, give and you will receive. What's that saying? Sow and you will harvest. Can you say it like that? Isn't giving sowing? When you begin to see giving as sowing, when you put it in the plate, it's not just, goodbye, I'll never see that again. It's like putting seed in the ground. When you give to a friend, you don't say, I wish I had that back. You're thinking, no, God's going to bless me spiritually because I'm doing His will. I'm being generous. I'm, I'm a giver. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. So as much as you give is going to come back, but then it's going to be pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over. It's going to run over and pour into your lap. It's going to be an abundance come back. Do you, do you plant a mustard seed and expect a little mustard seed to come back? No, you expect a big tree of mustard seeds to come back. See, giving financially is planting seed. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. If we really believed that that was the word, it's in Luke, I think that's the gospel, I think it's in red, uh, it's in the Bible that I claim to believe. If we really believe this, I think it would loosen up our, our, our tightness a little bit. <laughs> Proverbs eleven twenty four says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy. And lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That's a good word here at Christmas time. Seed time and harvest can work for you or it can work against you. It's going to work though. Galatians 6 7 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Whether it be good or bad. So every area of your life, take heed to what you're harvesting. I mean, to what you're, you're sowing. What do we do, Pastor? We tap into a universe that's already rigged in our favor. 
Everything in this universe that we live in, in this earth that God created, is here to bless us. And we put good seed in good soil, expecting a good harvest. See, the way you water your spiritual seed is through faith. You trust in the seed, like we talked about last week. You believe that God's going God's to be true to His Word, and you water it, and you speak over your seed. And when it comes harvest time, if you think it's time to harvest, send them ministering angels forth to bring in your harvest. Say, uh, don't just leave it out in the field. Lord, bring in the harvest. Bring in the harvest, Lord. Speak good words. It's that easy. Well, then why isn't everybody blessed? We are, to some degree. Does your light switch go on at all? We are all blessed to some degree, but I'm just saying maybe we could be more blessed. But it's not all a rosy picture. You know, Adam sinned, and who remembers the curse? Adam was under the curse that he would have to work by the sweat of his brow and the, the soil was cursed, and that, and that he would have to toil to make a living. And it sounds like a four-letter word that a lot of us don't like to mention. W-O-R-K. And that's why a lot of us are not more blessed. Because... We don't like that word. That's one of the main things I'm looking about, looking to heaven for. The day when you don't have to work so hard and it seems like everything's stacked against you. It's not, by the way, but it sure seems like it sometimes. There's a lot of weeding needs to go on. There's a lot of uh, hard soil to, to plow up. It's not easy to walk in the fullness and get the full harvest. But in God's plan, you don't work. You don't eat. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, you don't work, you don't eat. Of course, that's not the way it is in our society because the government has taken over the church's job to provide for everybody. Proverbs 24 says, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. So God built in some self-motivators. <laughs> You know, but you know, it's in the heart of man. It should be in your heart to want to succeed. You know, your flesh doesn't. But even, even a sluggard, you know, <laughs> wants a harvest. Everybody wants a harvest. But how much more us, as we understand God's ways, we understand God's blessings, and we understand what a true harvest is. Man, us Christians, us next level group, we ought to be working. See, we know there's a day of rest coming. We know that there's a day that we're going to be able to relax. And this ain't it. But those other people that are working and don't know Jesus, they think this is all there is. Work, 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 work. And they get, they're not celebrating. They're not getting a good harvest because they're not planting the right seeds. I can see where they're frustrated. I can see where their life is turned on its heels. Some don't, have, don't trust the seed. They don't know what the seed is. And some don't have any faith. And see, faith must be mixed in with what we believe for. With the seed that we plant. It's impossible to please God without what? That you must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. There's nothing wrong with seeing God as a rewarder. He wants you to. He wants you to understand He wants to bless you. You know, I guess probably listening to me preach over the years, you're probably saying he's an anti-prosperity preacher. Well, no, I just try to be balanced. I'm not talking about stacking, you know, Lamborghinis in your garage or nothing. I'm talking about enjoying the blessings of this life, but not letting them lure you away from your real purpose. That's that's why I try to find a balance. So some people probably say, oh, you know, I, I used to like when we preached, you know, prosperity and all that stuff. 
I believe God wants you blessed. But I, I believe that there's a deeper blessing than just financial. I believe that, you know, I'm like David. He said, don't give me too little that I steal and shame, put shame on your name, but don't give me too much that I, I forget about you. You know, so the the blessings in my life that what i consider blessings has changed so much you know that i i get to know him time with him his presence doing his will see, seeing the harvest in souls and so forth that becomes my blessing let's turn to ecclesiastes 11 ecclesiastes 11 It's in the Bible. I just hadn't found it yet. My mama found it before I did. Woo, man. Go, mama. Go, mama. All right. Ecclesiastes 11. I'm going to read it in the King James, starting in verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. I think we discussed that a little bit last week. And I gave the hypotheses that maybe they were throwing seed on the river and it was taking it down and depositing it on the bank down there later. And by the time they got there, it would have a harvest everywhere they were going. I kind of think that's what it, it, it refers to. But it certainly implies to me that you've got to sow a seed to expect a harvest. If you don't cast your bread, then you, you don't expect a harvest. You don't find anything that you hadn't lost, so to speak. Alright. Verse 2. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest what evil shall be upon the earth. Now, Does it say knowest not? Knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Diversify. Throw some seed on seven. Throw some seed on eight. You know, don't just put all your eggs maybe so so much in one basket because the devil is going to probably steal some of your seed. We don't know what evil is lurking to steal our seed. There is some bad ground. You know, things will happen. So. Verse 3 says, If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Okay. Life happens. That's just what, you know, if a tree falls, it's, that's where it is. You know, it is what it is. How many have experienced sometimes you feel like you've sown in an area and it didn't happen? Okay. It is what it is. The State Farm commercial says they've seen it all. And you probably have too. Sometimes things happen. You've been there, right? Life happens. Verse 4 says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. One thing is certain. If you're hesitant and you never let go of your seed, you will never reap a harvest. Not a harvest from that seed. And we have people that are regarding the wind, regarding the way. Well, if I ever start making this amount of money, I'll help this person. Or, or if it wasn't, let me look at my checkbook and see what, you know, God's laying something on your heart, but you're, you're regarding the wind and the waves and you don't have the faith to plant the seed that God's asking you to do. Some, some, for some of us, it could be something like God's asking you to start a business. God's telling you to go to trade school. God's telling you to do this. God's telling you to take a step in that relationship or take a step back in that relationship. God's asking you to do something, but you're reasoning things out. We talked about that here recently how you can talk yourself out of things 
when you know God's telling you to do something. In the parable of the talents, you remember God gave a certain amount of money to three different fellows according to their ability? Who was the one he was really upset with? The fearful one. The one who didn't do anything with what God had given him. Never planted his seed. Didn't even He just put it in the ground. But guess what? A talent of money is not going to grow in the ground. He said you should have put it in the bank. You know, you should have at least got me usury. You know, some interest or something. God got really angry with the lazy servant who didn't do anything with the investment God had made in him. You know what? Sowing seed requires faith. Sowing good seed. Because it's letting go of what's in your hand. Okay, say, say you got a handful of seed, right? To sow that seed, you got to trust that God's going to bless you for it. Because it's tempting to have a handful of seed and say, I'm hungry, and eat that seed. Like Becky said. Instead of, you know, maybe eating a few and, and trusting God with the rest and believing you're casting your bread upon the water and that you'll find it after many days and it's going to come back pressed down, shaken together, running over. That, that it's going to produce more than the, the little seed that you put in the ground. True faith causes us to rejoice in the sowing as much as in the reaping. If you truly trust God when you put that money into the plate, or you give that money to that person, or you, you do whatever God, you invest in this company, or whatever, it, you can do so as a cheerful giver, like she says. Why? Because you already trust God, and you know that the harvest is coming. So you can be obedient. You don't have to reason it out with yourself and fight with yourself every time you give. I think I, maybe I was blessed in that regard. I see some people, I mean, I've seen some people, nobody in here, listen, but I've seen, you know, I've heard some, you know, I'm sure it happens where, where some people, you know, every time the, the plate comes by or something, they have to argue with themselves and look and see how much is in their wallet or, and all this stuff. And That's really making too difficult. Maybe I'm a, sim I'm a simpleton. I am. You, know, you can tell I see things black and white. But when I got saved and I heard that it said tithe 10%, I said, I'm not going to argue with myself every time well, I can only give 7% this week. We'll make it up next week. I said, no, I'm just going to do what God said. And I made a firm commitment to settle it in my heart, and I started doing that. And I don't think about it. I don't argue about it. It just happens every time. In fact, I got it on direct deposit because my wife is the one who writes the check. <laughs> and she... So... And I've never, ha I've never once... Been in lack because of it. In fact, I could tell you a million instances where my washing machine outlasts your washing machine. Of course, my water heater this Sunday. But guess what? A dear brother in the church came over and fixed it for me for free. Harvest. I didn't mean to go there, but... Where was I at? Nobody said this life would be easy. Where am I? Church. I'm going to give you a microphone. Proverbs 14.4 says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. So it would be easier to say, no, I don't want an oxen because there's a lot of trouble. You know, I'm cleaning up all this poop. And life can bring a lot of poop. Right? But if you want a large harvest, you need an oxen. So you you got to be willing to W-O-R-K for what you want. 
You've got to understand that this ain't just going to fall on you. You've got to be intentional. Psalms 126.6 says, they weep as they go to plant their seed. Why would they weep? Well, maybe it's hot out there. And to break up all that hard ground and plant seed in this big field. It ain't easy doing the sowing sometimes, but it goes on to say they sing as they return with the harvest. <laughs> on the way to work, oh, it's a Monday. Oh, on Friday, they got that check. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I've seen the reverse in action too. Me and Angie went down to Gulfport one time. I had some family down there, and we went people watching and stood outside of one of those casinos. And on the, on the way on the end, the, the side that went in, the people was, boy, you never seen the happiest bunch. They couldn't wait to get in there and sow their seed. Was, Woo! They, I'm, I feel lucky tonight. Come on, let me in, let me in. Kicking the door down to get in the place on the way out. Of, <laughs> they looking around for a quarter on the ground. I just One more quarter I could do. I don't know what I'm going to tell my wife, you know. <laughs> they sowed their seed in the wrong place. Bad soil. Bad <laughs> Man, so Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if, say if, we don't give up. Uh, that would be a good place to preach on that time thing again, wouldn't it? You know, sometimes we got the seed in the ground, but we dig it up and start eating on it again. <laughs> Well, we won't give it time to work. We get anxious and lose our faith. The most blessed are those who use their stewardship to help others in need. Leviticus 23.22 The Lord says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Why does he say, I am the Lord your God? He's saying, that's my heart. You know me. I am the Lord your God. Don't let there be those struggling around you in need when you have the power to help them. Leave the edges of your field. Set aside some to help others in need, is what he's saying. See, time to close. So what's the harvest you think God wants the most? We understand that what God wants out of the earth is harvest. What's the harvest you think He wants most? Dorinda? Souls, right? God loves to see us blessed. Absolutely. When you're blessed, don't feel bad about it at all. Rejoice. God wants to rejoice with you. I can when when something happens good to me and I'm blessed and I feel like a harvest is coming in, I can feel the Lord rejoicing over me. You know, I don't let condemnation keep me from being happy about being blessed. The devil does that. God wants to give us to the desires of our heart. Sometimes he needs to change the desires of our heart. But he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But more than anything, this is going to be hard to understand the way I wrote it, but I wrote it this way for a reason. God seeks to invest all of His harvest. That's, and who's the harvest? We're His harvest. So He seeks to invest all of His harvest, us, back into His family business, which is more family. See, the harvest that he's ultimately after is our hearts, like she said. Family. He's, he's in the family business of creating family. He put the earth here for us to, to have dominion over, to overcome sin by putting our trust in Jesus and then being the first fruits of his harvest and then reproducing. That makes sense? When you plant a 
few watermelon seeds, you get a watermelon. That watermelon is chock full of what? More seeds. So it's planting and reaping. Seed time and harvest. Matthew 9.36, he says, Jesus said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That describes all the Porn Lake, South Haven, Olive Branch, Memphis. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. So there's a great potential for harvest. But the workers, there's that work word again. The workers are few. So pray that the Lord of the harvest, that's our God, the Lord of the harvest, ask Him to send more workers into the field. And that's why I'm here tonight to encourage you to get into the field. Open up your eyes for the fields are white to harvest. Have you been on Goodman Road lately? Yes, because you had to come here tonight. You see how crowded it is. I often go into a place like a Walmart or somewhere and I look around and see hundreds, maybe thousands of people shopping and I think to myself, I'm giving everything I have to grow with the Lord's church and the best we can run is about 70 on a Sunday, adults, you know. When That's just one store. And you, and you know that the fields are white. Just look around. I want to encourage you. It's good to reap harvest of blessings and good things in your life, material stuff, and that's all good and well. But the really wise are planting seeds that are going to spring up to eternal life within their fellow man. Things, the only thing that you'll be able to take to heaven with you is the soul that you won for Jesus. And so those are the really wise because they're giving God back exactly what He desires out of the earth. Nothing wrong with the rest. So I hope that when I see you in harvest, uh, in heaven, that your harvest is so big that you have to hire your grandchildren to get in the back of the cotton picker to stomp it all down. <laughs>